0: More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. Thanks, Jason. We will be um, thinking through that for the rest of the morning. Hopefully this week will be a wonderful week for you to continue to go back and think through what we've discussed and what we've talked about and pray through that. Um, As Jason said, we're um, every time we gather, we have a mixed bag of people from those who maybe um, are um, completely secure and, and passionate in their pursuit of Christ right now and their relationship with Him and all the way all over to people that are not saved every time that we gather. And then uh, in the middle, sometimes we get in those situations or maybe circumstances or or maybe um, just our own hearts that, that kind of lead us to these points to where there's a coldness, there's a... Um, uh, kind of a cooling off of the passions that we used to enjoy about God. And so um, I hope that this uh, word this morning from him would be an encouragement to, to all of us wherever we find ourselves on that path. Um, we're going to be looking at um, this story, uh, this story that we know very well, and um, there's going to be several statements that we're going to kind of focus on out of the whole story, out of the resurrection story. Um, we're going to be looking at Luke um, Chapter 24, so if you want to turn there, that's where we're going to be um, hanging out this morning. We're going to read those first 12 verses, um, just the, 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 the narrative, and then we're going to focus in on verses 13 through 27. But have you, have you thought through some of the very practical things that, that we may not think about if Jesus had not risen from the grave? So some, just some very practical things. Um, no Easter, so think about that. Just If he hadn't risen from the grave and we didn't have these facts and these uh, eyewitness accounts, we wouldn't know, and so it could have been God's plan that he had stayed in the grave, right? Um, If if he hadn't risen from the grave, we wouldn't have Easter. There would be no Easter egg hunts with all the biblical promises of of chocolate and candy and Proverbs and uh, Psalms, Um, and and no no pastel-colored clothes Uh, we get to wear once a year and then maybe never wear again. Um, no kids terrified from the from the hairy six foot three. A big eyed bunny, because all they've known so far is they see little bitty soft bunnies and they're about this big. And then in books they read and they're always around eggs and they're always playing in the yard and they're tiny. And then we walk into the mall and there's a six foot seven, you know, hairy beast waving at them Come on, come towards me. I've got candy. And if they could communicate when they're two and three and four, they would be like, Are you kidding me? Mom, dad, do do you not see anything wrong with this picture? This is terrifying, and yet we, we usher them and push them towards this beastly, freakishly large Easter bunny. Um, no money under your pillow when you lose a tooth, right? Because we don't know for sure if it could be the Easter bunny uh, that, that does the work of the tooth fairy and stuff. So all of those promises of Easter that we take so grant, take for granted so easily, right, if you got confused and you're looking through scriptures for the, the promises of the, the eggs with chocolate and stuff, um, enjoy yourself this afternoon. Just keep going and email me later. Um, as we go through, anytime you think about Easter or the resurrection, we should never separate the resurrection from the cross of Christ. And so Easter, its doctrine and its truth is so significant. And so um, there's so many beautiful depths about the resurrection. But it does stand as a significant piece on its own. But it must always be tied to Christ's death and also why he came to die. So Christ's death, that that that's a story in itself. But also the why behind that, why Jesus had to die. And so um, it's kind of like our church nurseries, as you've heard me mention before, that they have the little... Um, border around the room and it's got the nice little picture of the ark and the nice little animals and everything looks happy. But, but what they don't include is that, that dead sea with all the dead bodies and all the dead animals floating around and bumping up because we want to focus on just just the, the, the good promise and we don't look at what that was costing God. That was his creation He had to go back and say, because of sin, I've got to bring judgment and wrath on that. And so um, the gospel is a connection between the rainbow at the beginning and the resurrection. Um, the, The rainbow was God's promise that he would never again bring total destruction on mankind, right? Remember that? And so he brought that because of man's sin. And so the resurrection is the beautiful picture of God saying that again, that I promise that I would not bring total destruction on mankind for their sin, but I will not go and leave sin unpunished. And so in the same way that the the, um, flood was the first destruction, God's wrath and God's judgment being poured out, um, yet bringing salvation to a remnant, that was the picture that he brought us in that, the cross is God's wrath poured out. I made a promise to you I wouldn't destroy mankind for their sin, but sin has to be punished. And the cross is the picture of God saying, I am unleashing my wrath on my son to keep my promise that there will be a remnant that would be saved. And so we see that connection. The gospel is that connection. The second time Jesus took the full judgment and wrath of God against sins of God's people, God kept his promise but did not fail to deal with sin. Um, the deepest beauty of the resurrection, sometimes we would think, would be just the, I mean, almost on the medical end, the physical end, the physiological aspect of, of Him dying and, and, and then truly raising to new life. The physical aspect of that, that's physiological, physiologically impossible. Or even, even the fulfillment of Scripture, the miraculous of, of f- fulfillment of Scripture, that's not the main and deepest beauty. The the deepest beauty of the cross is that God's plan to take you and I, man, sinful, rebellious people, and God clearing a place at his table, going, I'm going to send my son to bring you back into my presence, to reconcile you as an enemy, but that I'm restoring and redeeming and creating room for you with me. That's the, the beauty and the depth of the resurrection. So we can celebrate that. Um, As we look at Luke chapter 24, um, it's a very common story that you probably know, and that's one of the dangers is we treat it as common because we know the facts about that. And I hope through today that that you will begin to think through where your heart is at, even with the familiarity of the facts of the resurrection. The older you get, the, the more years that you add on, the more that you've known the facts. You know the bullet points. But if you're not enjoying and contemplating the depth of these things and, and, and the implications on our lives, what, what's the point of gathering? What's the point if we don't treasure this Jesus who has done this in our place? So I'm going to read um, Luke um, 24, 1 through 12, and then um, I'm going to pray And then we're going to go piece by piece through the 13 through 27. Uh, 13 through 27 is going to be our focal point, the guys on the Emmaus Road. But I want to read just that, that narrative story. So I don't have those slides up on the screen for you. So if you want to look at your device or just listen prayerfully or read along in your Bible. So this is 24, 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this truth. Most of us have heard these truths. We understand that you sent your son to die in our place on the cross, taking on your wrath. We know that he rose from the grave three days later, and yet, if we're not careful, Father, um, our hearts can just take that as common. Would you allow us to have just a breaking away of of some of the hardness in our hearts, Father? Would you allow us to um, understand with, with new freshness and new appreciation, with greater affections, this person, Jesus Christ, the triune God, what you've done for us, as we go through this today, in your name we pray, Amen. So, as we look at um, those verses, we, I just wanted to kind of set the stage with that very common story of those ladies. Um, and notice there in verse eleven, but but these words seem to them an idle tale. And the them that it's talking about right there is actually the apostles. I mean, it, and you know, most of us, you know, if you're having your devotional times and you read time and time and time again where these guys doubt Jesus, and like here, it's like he's he's told him this repeatedly and we we know that also in the gospel stories he kept saying these people are going to come and they're going to take me away and they're going to crucify me and i'm going to rise again and now it happens and literally what what do they say it's probably just an idle tale but yet peter peter jumps up and goes and so this is the apostles after all they had seen and experienced with jesus why would they have such a difficult time with this um we're going to go through this piece by piece, uh, verse by verse, through this uh, next section. But I, I nickname these guys the "dull and guys, and so um, that that could be you today. Um, when we get to heaven, I hope they don't say, "Hey, Sankey, we've got some nicknames for you, also." And then there becomes a big fight because we're calling each other names, and then some of us get kicked out. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I always have fears about that. Like I'll be the one that will mess heaven up. Like it'll be like whatever day of worship, and I'll be like, I don't really feel like going today, and like complain and try to talk some people out of it, and like I'll be the new Lucifer or something. And so maybe I need medication for that, but I really do think through that sometimes. What we're going to see first is there are people who know facts about Jesus, but miss everything Jesus intended for them. There are people who know facts about Jesus, but they miss everything that Jesus intended for them. And I, I think that could be us, I think that could be us very easily. Um, Let's look in verse 13 there. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And as they stood still, looking sad, the one of them named Cleopas answered, Are you the only one, the only visitor to Jerusalem, who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said to him, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. So notice these guys asking Jesus. Can you imagine Cleopas, um, uh, man, the, the, the one guy that he gets his five minutes of fame, and you're the one guy recorded in history um, as being the one who asked Jesus, are you the only one who doesn't know what just happened in Jerusalem? Um, So we'll get to talk to him about that in heaven also. Um, It's the only time it's ever mentioned. This is about a seven-mile journey, so it's about 20 minutes per mile. So about an hour and 20 minutes um, of of walking and and going and turning around, what what ends up happening later in the story um, as they go through this. Um, And so um, if if you're doing like a 15-minute walk per per mile, and so um, as we're going to see this, here comes Jesus walking beside them as they're on this journey, talking about what had just taken place, um, and, and they, they bring out this idea of, you're the only one who doesn't know what's going on in Jerusalem. Um, I think that sometimes we do this. Um, maybe we can be overwhelmed by circumstances, just like they were. We can become overwhelmed by the things that we see, and we know God's promises are out there like a backdrop, but we see the immediate circumstances and even the things that we've been involved with, and very easily we feel like God is the only one who doesn't understand what I'm going through. God, you're the only one who doesn't understand what's happening with our life. When we we know, in fact, that God is the only one who knows what's going on with our life to a deeper level. He knows exactly what we're going through. He he knows exactly our circumstances. And here these guys like us would say, maybe you're the only one who doesn't know. Says that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, this is just a statement about their. This is not just a statement about their physical eyes. This is not a matter of you know. Some people say, well, he was shaved and he was. Uh, he looked different. Maybe he had a haircut. Maybe he just looked completely different. People talk about also those immortal bodies, our new bodies that we will have, and so there seems to be some sort of change to where he's modified a little bit to where they don't initially recognize him. But also, people kind of wore the hoods and stuff like that, and so. Um, they're not under what god's pointing out here is they were not understanding who jesus on the cross was right nor making the connection that he was god's son so so not only physical eyes not understanding jesus but you've got to get this that they didn't understand exactly who jesus was there this shows God's deliberate intervention with each person's soul. It's not just a matter of you and I adding the equation of A, B, C, D, I think I'll take Jesus. It takes God opening our hearts and our eyes to see him for all that he is. And so we'll see that later on in this story. It happens with these guys, and then it happens with the other disciples, Um God is the one who gives new life from above. It's not just a matter of knowing points, because you could ask the question, get real technical, hey, are these boys saved at this point? Are these guys saved? Well, I mean, they had some hopes, didn't they? They, they liked Jesus they have been following him around. And if you know what this means, um, this group, they use this language of this women that were in this company with us and part of the disciples. So there, there was a bigger group of over 100, 120, 140 disciples. These two guys must have been around when Jesus was working his miracles, Jesus was doing the teachings. And so they knew about this, and they were, they were so saddened because they were thinking, what about the guy who died on the cross? He was the Messiah that was going to come and deliver them, deliver Israel from the Romans. They had seen everything firsthand, yet they still didn't get it. They said, Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, and how our chief priests and our rulers crucified him. It is only after Jesus pieces together God's Old Testament scriptures with his own life and death and resurrection when he brings in the Old Testament and shows them all that Are their eyes open to understanding? The Holy Spirit does this work. Um, These two guys are the ones who don't actually understand all that's just happened in Jerusalem. They didn't understand the betrayal and slaughter of God Himself on the cross for their own sins. Uh, They didn't understand the cross of Christ and and the dead man that they had been following and and talking about, um, that He substituted Himself in their place. That the very guy they were face-to-face with was going to be the guy that they would be face-to-face worshiping in all eternity. And they probably were in the crowd when Jesus was crucified. They were in town for Passover, but didn't understand Jesus as the one sufficient blood sacrifice. That all the Old Testament rituals, all the Old Testament feasts, all the rules, all the observances, and all the animal sacrifices were pointing to. They weren't making the connection. That's Jesus the Son of God, who who took care of all the Old Testament expectations and fulfillments. So look at Hebrews 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come. So the law, Old Testament, keeping it. So if you read through Leviticus and you read through Numbers and you read through Deuteronomy and you're confused by all those lists of the rules and all the little sacrifices they did and all the little details, you've, you've got to see that the law was but a shadow of this thing that was coming. Instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Those rituals would never forgive sins. Those rituals would never make a person righteous. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, Sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Notice what he says. Sacrifices and offerings. All of that Old Testament system, you have not desired. Well, it seems like God did desire that, right? Like there's even points where you feel like, oh, if they break some of those little small rules, like there's people dying or there's people getting sick and all. So it seems like you have desired that. So what does Jesus mean by that's not what you desired? What God desired was those rituals and those systems were to make people pause and slow down and contemplate stop your working cease with all your working hard and doing all these things out there that you have to do to live and pause and contemplate when you're doing this this ritual or this little systematic thing this feast that we're gathering for this easter day that we're gathering for what should your mind be on i want you to pause and slow down and think through consider your sin All of those systems, all of those laws and rules were to get them to slow down and contemplate their own sin against the backdrop of God's holiness. And it became this grid as we're doing these rituals for a day or two days. We're making a track to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. We're doing all these things. The different feasts that every other month that they would do, backdrop of God's holiness. And there was this, this grid that was going up of their sin. That was why he was doing it. All of that God did not desire the rituals and the routine. Do you you see that? Because we do this. It's not the Jewish system anymore, but we have our own little lists and our little routines that if we're not careful, we're thinking, by me doing this, God, by me doing this, you're appeased, right? By me doing this, by me doing this, you're so proud of me. Oh, hey, you know what? We even have these kind of doctrines. You know what? We believe these things. You know those other places? (laughs) It's just foolishness what they believe. Here's what we do. God, do you see us? Hey, God, I can even boast in how much I know about my depravity. Do you love me more? Do you love me more? If we're not careful, that's our mindset self righteous, um, egotistical, judgmental attitude towards others and, and lifting up of ourselves. And that wasn't the point of those rituals either. What's the process that you have in place each week to pause and think through your sin? Is, is this it? this doesn't last very long. What's the process on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday? Anything that you have in place that would make you consider that backdrop of God's holiness and your sin? And, and don't forget, that's just the bad news. And then to burst through that, like we say in the song, that I don't have to go by that anymore. I don't have to live in that anymore. I, I'm being tied to these pattern sins. I'm not tied to pattern sins. Christ burst forth from the grave. Uh, that power of sin does no longer control me. So all of those things, um, that's what God was doing. These guys were front row as if they were gazing through this windshield, looking at Jesus himself. They are watching every bit of this front row, gazing through a windshield, except they were on the receiving end of the windshield. They weren't in the seat looking back. They were like a bug gazing through this windshield at Christ, and the gospel was the windshield coming, bam, overtaking them just walking on the road. Man, can you believe what happened? And here Jesus shows up and interrupts two very moral, very good, very Jewish, very keeping the law Jews, and they still weren't in love with Jesus for what he had just done. Remember, we never separate the beauty of the resurrection from the scandalous glory of the cross. We should want to be saved as we just gaze up at Jesus. Sure, there is a literal hell. There is an eternal um, damnation for those who reject Christ. But we should want to be saved because of the gloriousness of Jesus and what he's done. These men thought Jesus was the only one who didn't know what had happened when they were actually the ones who did not know what had just occurred in Jerusalem. There are people who know the facts about Jesus but miss everything Jesus intended for them. So ask the Lord if, if that's you. There are people, secondly, who see Jesus, but he's not the Jesus that meets all of their expectations. So remember what I said about these guys? Are they saved or not? Notice what they said in verse 21 Well, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And besides all this, it's, it's now the third day since these things had happened. You feel that letdown? Don't, don't you know that you just, just wanted to just, just like, oh, you God, like how excited would he be facing these guys just just wanting to, you know, like it, it could be like your kids, you know, and you have finally got that nice gift that you've been wanting to get for them. They've been wanting it for like two or three years. And, and if you were able to just like, look, surprise, here it is. Like, and you're just holding it back, holding it back. Hold, like these guys would just pounce on me if they just knew who I was here. And here they are laying out, well, We thought that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. Jesus is going, oh, I I did, but I'm sorry that it wasn't what you were looking for. So there are people who know the facts about Jesus, but he's not the Jesus that meets all their expectations. It really stinks when you find out that your idea of God doesn't line up with your expectations for how God will make all of your desires in life come true. It really stinks when you find out that your idea of God doesn't line up with your expectations how, of how God is going to make all of your desires and dreams come true in life. And God will lovingly and easily and purposely chip away at that. For some, the actual God is just that, those desires of what life is supposed to be like. And so the idea is if we make Jesus just pray this prayer and then Jesus promises you this this life, well, what if that doesn't happen? Well, then Jesus didn't work out for me. And these two guys were thinking through, they were thinking that this Jesus was going to come, that the Messiah was going to come, and that possibly this is And he was going to come with all of the militaristic power and and dethrone Rome and and set up the Old Testament uh, kingdom of, of David and Solomon and that finally the Jews were going to have their kingdom again, that that would be the Messiah. Have you ever found yourself doing the same thing with Jesus? He wasn't meeting up to their expectations for for what they really needed in life? You have those things that, man, God, it just seems like I really need this, but, but I've been keeping the rules. I've been doing what you've said. I've I've been going to church. Why aren't you? I thought if I was so careful and so cautious and trying to keep all of these laws, I stayed clear of all those pitiful people that I hate, that you would. I thought that if I made my kids go to church and and gave some money and we we try to be really good people, I thought that you would make them turn out like, man, it's like we're playing cards with them we get to dictate how he responds to us. It's not external lists. It's heart devotion. It's not an equation. It's his covenant. It really stinks when you find out your idea of God doesn't line up with him meeting all your desires. Um, So we see there are people who see Jesus, but he's not the Jesus that they wanted. All of these people were gathering thinking that he was going to be the powerful militaristic leader to restore Israel. He didn't rise again for um, our ideas of what my best life right now would be. But these women, these two guys on the road, the apostles and these other witnesses who saw him before his death and resurrection, um, they were looking for something that met their immediate needs. And we do that. And part of that is we're wired that way, and God understands us and meets us there, but we've got to get to the point where we respond and take the time to pause and go, I realize that that's wrong. I realize that my expectations for you are wrong. I'm creating an image of God in in my own idea, in my own mind, of what you should be like. And we do it in all kinds of ways. Here's just a handful, this is not an exhaustive list, of the implications of the resurrection. So anytime you talk about the resurrection, I wanted to bring up some of these. Just First of all, just the historicity. These accounts are extremely important for the early church. The very fact that people said that we saw him alive, we touched him with our hands. So historically, the church struggled with this because of the fact there were a lot of people, the Jews, uh, mainly the Pharisees and uh, those that were the chief priests, they started saying immediately it was those disciples. They went and got his body and went and hid it. Because why? Because they didn't want people to know that Jesus supposedly had risen from the grave. So they just made up a lie that the Jews, those disciples, those that followed the way, they went in and hid his body because they didn't want to deal with the truth of the resurrection. So one way you can get rid of dealing with that is to say it was those followers. They went and hid his body. But the historicity, these accounts were passing around very quickly. Um, Also, just the security. Even if God had stated in the Bible that one day he was going to raise Jesus from the grave, but he had not yet done it. Think about us in this room today. Would that be very, very different if we knew that somewhere over in Jerusalem Jesus was still in the grave? That would be like other false prophets. It would be like other um, people that were considered gods, right? So just think through the security that we have that from these firsthand witnesses saying, we know He rose from the grave. We saw this. Think think through how intentional God was in going, let me just provide these two unnamed guys on the Emmaus Road, that that Mary and Joanna and Mary and these other women, and then all these disciples. I I want you to know, church, that that this is real. This is true. This isn't just made up. The power over sin and Satan Even though Jesus died for our sins, paid the atoning sacrifice once for all for sins, but if he had not risen from the grave, how would that affect your understanding that he has actually defeated Satan, that he has defeated sin, that he's defeated death? If he was still in the grave, just think through how all that would be changed. But God's beautiful plan, including the resurrection, that we just kind of look over sometimes and take for granted that, that man how much hope does it bring there's a weird weird awkward silence where you're, when you're in that room with, with with a parent or a grandparent those first 20 30 40 seconds when someone has passed away and you just it, it just gets weird And so some people just break into an emotional cry and and then that's fine Some people um, just get busy trying to do things real quickly because they they feel like they they can't handle the weirdness of it. And then some people just go into a stare just thinking through. But, But the reality is you can't change this. There's nothing you can do to change this. God is screaming from the resurrection that I did change this. I am changing this. You can put hope in this, that there is new life. I'm going to resurrect their bodies if they're followers of Christ. So the power over sin, Satan, and death. Our future immortal bodies that Jason read about earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, that for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. What a beautiful truth. So we're going to have new changed bodies that are imperishable, immortal. And then also, um, as we saw there also that Jason brought up earlier, the futile and foolish life on earth that that would be if it wasn't for Christ and his resurrection. If Christ did not rise from the grave, our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain, and we are, of all people, more to be pitied. Because of the resurrection, all of those things wiped out. Do you see God's design in that? And There's hundreds more, but just some big key things. So be thankful for those eyewitness accounts. Uh, I wanted to just hit quickly. This is 1 John. Uh, this was really, really important. So 1 John, the whole book of 1 John was written because there were some people that were thinking uh, a couple things. That uh, that number one, that maybe um, the resurrection had already, or maybe the resurrection from the dead had already happened, and there was a chance that have we been left behind? I think Thessalonians is the same thing. There's some people in that also. But I, w- I want you to know what. I want you to hear what. John, the Apostle John, is saying in 1 John, that which was from the beginning, he's talking about Jesus in every bit of this. So if you take 1 John 1 and then you go to John, the Gospel of John chapter 1, he's talking about the Word that became flesh, right? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, he's talking about Jesus, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the Word of life, The life was made manifest, and we have seen it. We testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. He makes this connection. Because our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, and that would complete our joy, knowing that you are brought into that fellowship. That would make our joy complete. And that's all. John seventeen, Jesus praying, Father, this would complete my joy. And then John actually is quoting those type of ideas in First John one, um, in First Peter chapter one, the same thing. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So we, we want to be thankful for these eyewitness accounts that we very easily could look over. Because if you remove just a little bit of the story, what about this dead guy that did miracles that's still in the grave somewhere in Jerusalem? Oh, and hey, you know, uh, Discovery Channel did some searching and they went searching and they found out that, oh, there's no one in that grave. So now what do we do? But God didn't do that. God gave us the full story. So there are people who see and hear the story of Jesus, but he's not the Jesus that meets all their expectations. And then third, there are people who see and hear the story of Jesus, but the facts just don't matter enough. And I think this is probably the most dangerous for us in just our consumeristic American Christianity um, Look at verses 25 through 27. He said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. That word slow of heart is dull. Dull in understanding, dull in affections, dull in heart worship. Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ would suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself and himself. So they had the facts. They had knowledge, but they were not captivated in Christ and his cross. God was laying a foundation, a connection to the new revelation of the New Testament Scriptures. So they've got all the Old Testament Scriptures, Moses and all the prophets, all the Old Testament, and now there is no New Testament written yet, right? Right? And so, But we've got this guy who was on earth doing all these miracles. So, and then he lives this life, does all these teachings, all these miracles which were supposed to draw people in to, to the story, to the message, right? That's what the miracles were for, was to get your attention so you'd hear the message of repentance and faith, right? And then he does all of this stuff and is crucified and then rises again. And so now we've got to connect those dots. God was laying this foundation for the early church that would be inspired by God, and errant and connecting all the Old Testament scriptures with the full revelation of the gospel. So Jesus is just simply walking them through that. In Hebrews uh, chapter 1, uh, Jesus is c- kind of creating categories for their understanding. He was God's son. He's the full representation of God. He suffered and died for sins. He was appeasing the wrath of God and would rise from the grave in his former glory and then ascend. And now we're waiting for him to come back. The only piece missing Is him coming back. So tie that resurrection story and ascension to what we're gathering for today. Hebrews 1, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So that's what John 1 says also. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So, And the purpose of connecting the Old Testament scriptures with Christ and the gospel was to call us to something. The writer of Hebrews is is laying this out, going, so all of that happened. He used to speak through prophets. He used to speak through all the prophets and Moses and all those things. But now he's spoken to us through his son. And now these New Testament letters are being passed around. Hebrews 2, and here's this writer of Hebrews who we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. And he's piecing together chapter 1. And then chapter 2 he goes on to say, therefore, based off on, on that, this connection with Christ in the Old Testament, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. So again, for the first early audiences, and for all those through time to our present day, the author's intent was to instruct them. It was a warning. Pay much closer attention. This Easter story, as Hebrews just brought up, is about just retribution. So most of us know that the cross was where God unleashed His wrath on His Son. The resurrection was God's stamp of approval saying, yes, I have my wrath completely appeased. There's nothing more that needs to happen. My proof that no one else needs to suffer, my proof that my wrath was appeased is the resurrection. So where the cross was... The wrath poured out and justification happened. The resurrection is God proving to the world, saying, this was my son. He took on all of your wrath that you deserved, and I completely received that with full payment for your sins. So that goes into the idea of what was the atonement for Christ? Who who was the atonement for Christ? Who was that for? Who was that paid to? And we know that it was paid to God himself. It wasn't Satan. Satan didn't hold the keys, and, and, and God had to, pay him something for sins. It wasn't even ourselves. It was God's holiness that demanded a payment for sins, right? And so God's resurrection of Christ shows completely approved. New life. That's what I'm promising you. My son was slaughtered on your behalf so that you may walk out of the grave one day also in new life. So that's a beautiful picture of the resurrection. So, in Hebrews 3, he has this call to repentance and faith. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation said they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. So I don't think that we struggle so much with the facts. I I don't think that most of us in American Christianity, I don't think that most of us that would even find ourselves in church, that we struggle with the idea that somehow God, um, the Holy Spirit, had this little virgin girl Mary to where she has a human inside of her womb, that that she produces a a, a man who is 100% man and 100% God. I don't think we even struggle with that. There may be some that have those questions. I don't think that we struggle with the idea that that God put Christ on the cross for our sins. I I don't think that we struggle with that. I think even little kids can, can tell us that, like a parrot. Yeah, Jesus died on the cross. Three days later, he rose. I don't think that we even struggle with the idea of the resurrection. I don't believe that we have a problem with interpreting or understanding the facts In fact, our familiarity with the facts may be the stumbling block to where what should be scandalous and a jaw-dropping story becomes common and not so remarkable after all. We've heard our labeled as an age of information, but I believe it also would, would be very clearly called an age of distraction. An age of distraction from what really matters most, these significant eternal things. I believe our problem is not that of interpretation or even believing the facts, but instead, to be honest, the facts just don't really matter enough when it comes to my busy week. When it comes to the Final Four, the championship game, when it comes to football, when it comes to sports, when it comes to lacrosse and soccer, like those hours are spent joyously. I can get all into those, but... Yeah, I, yeah, I know. Could you like make the story? Let us hear something new about the story. I need some something new about it, instead of relishing and treasuring in Him. And that's that's what He was doing with these guys, right? I wasn't what you were looking for. You're not piecing together my value that I'm God who died in your place. I don't think that we struggle with those facts. Um, we don't have a problem with that. But how are the facts? To compete with our mind-numbing, mind-numbing escapes, whether that's just escape from people, I just don't want to deal with them. Whether that's escape from life through whatever, whatever it is, maybe it, maybe it's just comfort, maybe it's entertainment, maybe it's just trivial information, and your little screen occupies all this time, and yet passions for the Lord and a hot, burning passion for Him, no. Just can't get it going. Just can't get it going. Remember, formerly, there were these rituals and these things that people did that made them purposely every week, every month think through the beauty. I don't think that he would uh, want us to, I don't think that he would uh, come and say, shame on you for considering, enjoying, or partaking of of those things, of comforts, of, of pleasures, of these things. But when they rule me out and throw me aside, and you no longer treasure me, but you're finding all your rest and your comfort and your joy in these things, that's when it's idolatry. But I think that he would still want us to evaluate and assess where our heart is at. And I think that he would lovingly and graciously simply just call us back. He doesn't go, hey, go, go prove 10 days. Go prove 10 days. Don't enjoy anything. And then I'll see that you're really loving. What does he always do? like in the prodigal God story, runs and meets us. He comes lovingly, I just want you back. I'm not going to drag you through 10 days repeating to you how stupid you are. I just want you to see me for what I am. I think he would lovingly and graciously just simply call us back to that. Some people know all the facts about Jesus, but miss everything he intended for them. You'll never grow in passion or affections for God if you don't have some time set apart each week to pause and to contemplate not only your sin, but also what He has done to overcome your sin. Don't stay in the bad news. But don't be surprised if you're not growing and not enjoying God and not enthused by Him, if you're not taking time to gaze and behold Him. Some people know the story of Jesus well, but He hasn't met up with their expectations. You may be staring Jesus in the face, but He isn't meeting up to your expectation for what you really need at this point in your life. And it changes, doesn't it? When you're single, if I if I can just get that person, that will make me feel so special. Finally, there will be this person and they will love me. And then you get married. If I ever get that degree or that job and land that job, and then you get it. If we ever get this type of house and, and family, oh, children. And, then you get, and so we're just these people that perpetually go on putting these idolatrous levels on these things. The next step for us that's what I needed in life. He's going, I'm here with you presently today. I'm enough. I'm enough. He offers you himself in exchange for all those desires. Some people know all the facts about Jesus, but the facts just don't matter enough when compared to all the other options. If you have a cold, uninterested heart at what God has done, don't try to have a better week this week. Don't, don't uh, try to go on and, and prove to him something. Just simply today, if you hear His voice, confess that. God, I think my heart's become a little hardened. Easter's a beautiful morning to have new life, to have the Holy Spirit just blow on that. But He's not going to force it in a way you must respond. It's a call of response. It's real. This resurrection is real. Piper says this, The zeal of the church for the glory of her King will not rise until pastors and mission leaders and seminary teachers make much more of the King. When the glory of God Himself saturates our preaching and teaching and conversations and writings, and when He predominates above our talk of methods and strategies and psychological buzzword and cultural trends, then the people might begin to feel, the people might begin to feel that He is the central reality of their lives, and that the spread of His glory is more important than all their possessions and all their plans. So to go through what we've read today and come to the end and not call you to that, to, to you setting Him as the rightful place you are central in everything. I, I've I allowed other distractions. I've allowed other people. I've allowed other things. I've allowed other possessions to steal time from you. I want you back at the center. I would be doing you a, a horrible harm and not calling you to that. Have you thought through where your heart is at with this all too familiar story? Is Jesus, If Jesus were here right now addressing your heart, would you be labeled like one of the dull in heart guys? You know all the facts. You know all the bullet points. It just really doesn't matter. Now, I would plead for you to consider the danger of that. No one in Romans 1 sees how the levels of hardness stack on each other. He may be calling you back to himself from from just distractions, from other paths that were promising satisfaction and happiness. I want to give you a couple minutes to respond to the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to pray. I'll just give you some time. First, we can close our eyes and just go to him in response. and Then I'll close this with prayer and then we'll go into the Lord's Supper. If you want to respond to him, just asking the Holy Spirit, where is my heart? Where are those affections now?